Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Loved Podcast. Today, I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about Jeremiah 29, 11. We used to have it on our list of verses, and over the years, I started to feel a little bit of discomfort about it, and that's what I want to explain to you today. And I guess especially because as I'm working on my thesis, and I was talking about personalizing text, one of my professors actually who's reading it, wrote back in his comments and just said, you know, Mark, for instance, where he said sometimes people can personalize a text and maybe it really isn't an appropriate text to do so. For instance, he says, and then he goes into Jeremiah 29, 11, and he writes a whole page worth of comment as to why that is probably not a verse that people could just do immediately without some explanation, without some background and The fact that, again, most of you don't even have access to commentaries or whatever to have background. And and so I want to say this, though, is that it actually caused me to go, yeah, I used to have a whole page of this in the workbook, and it's not there at the same level. But let me just say this, then, about personalizing. Again, personalizing, first of all, is that verses always need to be understood in context. The verses that we ultimately personalize are the ones that finally, in a section, are the ones that stand out, like the, the high point of a certain part of a passage. Or sometimes, especially if it's Gospels or a certain thing that's happened in the letters, there are certain sentences that just can mean what they mean in the moment. Probably the biggest difficulty, though, is when we're personalizing Old Testament scriptures. And I want to explain to you how to think about that. But again, just to remind you that in personalizing verses all the time, it's just an important first step, is always understand a verse in its paragraph, in its context, in the place in the Bible where it is. And especially the bottom line first step is to think about what did it mean to them then? What did it mean to them then and there? That's always the first part of biblical interpretation and teaching is trying to Make sure that we understand what did it mean then, and then how does that apply to us today? For me, one of the other things is guidelines that's really been helpful is that it's generally finding verses where God is in the passage, and it's describing things that are true of him, always kind of activity in the lives of believers, whether it was his people in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And then again, you're always trying to ask, is the word that's being said, is it applicable to all believers? to all of his people at all times. But let me say this, (laughs) is that that's absolutely true, especially when you're trying to teach that the Bible says something. Now, please hear this with the caution that I'm giving it, but I also want to say God's bigger than how well you know how to study the text. When I was fresh out of college, and I was a young college and career pastor in a large church, and all I had was a college education, and at that, it was Christian education. It wasn't Bible and how to preach or teach the Bible. I used to read the Bible, and I would get all excited about what I was teaching, and then I would call home and tell my dad what I was going to (laughs) teach. And I'd hear this long pause on the other end, and I'd say, well, Dad, you know, what do you think? And every now and then he would say to me, well, son, that point is true. That is truth. But why don't you use this passage that actually says that? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I could see how you could draw that truth out of that passage, but it's not what it really means. So why don't you go use this one that actually says it? I'm like, well, okay. Here's my point. 
So often when we're doing this activity, and especially when we do the synonymantum activity on Saturday mornings, we remind people, Jesus said that the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, would guide us into all truth. And I believe that. I trust that. And it was true back when I was that young college and career pastor. The Holy Spirit was clearly revealing truth to me, even though that wasn't necessarily the best passage to bring that truth out. So, I just want to say is that there are times when I know that God can say things to you. He can speak to you through a passage. And especially though, if you're unsure or unclear, you should never just, and especially if it's big, if it's something that could change the course of your life or your family or whatever, huge ones like that, you definitely need to weigh and test those things. All the time, weigh and test. When we do the synonym antonym things, we always encourage people, sometimes you need to weigh and test these things because they're a sort of prophetic-like thing. But I'm just saying that at times the Lord really does speak truth through a particular passage to you personally, where he can use his word to speak directly to your heart. And I think that there are times when that's how the Lord's working in your heart and life. In fact, Robin and I were trying to sort out at one point in our lives whether we'd heard a prophetic word and we were wondering if it meant we were supposed to move and we had some friends that were all the way around the world in New Zealand and we were trying to think, Lord, should we do that? Are we supposed to stay? Are we supposed to go? What's the next step in our lives? And so I was meditating on, I know the plans for you, says the Lord, that I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you in a future and a hope. And I'm like, Lord, what are those plans? And, and then I thought, you know what? I don't know that I've ever really paid attention to this, where this verse is in the chapter. So I went and started reading chapter 29. And the amazing thing is, is Israel, the southern kingdom, the southern two tribes have been put into exile and they're there in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. And God promised that this would happen if they continued to be in disobedience. And he also promised at the end of chapter 27 that at some point he would bring them back. So, Jeremiah puts a word from the Lord in a letter and has it delivered to the leaders of the exile. 29, 1-4 describes that, and then they read the letter. And the letter begins by saying, settle down and build houses and have families and pray for the prosperity of the nation there and just be a blessing to it, and I'll bless you and I'll bless them. And then by verse 10, he, in the letter, it says, and then the Lord says, but I'm going to bring you back. When the 70 years are up, I'm going to bring you back to the land that I've given you. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And then a little bit further down, I think it's 14 or 15, just as he began, he says, the Lord said, I carried you into exile and I'm going to carry you back. As such, That passage, for I know the plans, is very specific about that point in the southern kingdom's life and a very specific word about, I've taken you out for 70 years, I'm going to bring you back, and that his plans for them have to do with when they come back, that his intention for them has always been to bless them. But here's the point. When Robin and I were trying to sort out and I started reading that, In my heart, I felt like, boom, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Mark, I want you to settle down. I want you to have a family and be in a house and whatever where you are. And I went home and I shared it with Rob. I said, honey, I think through this passage, the Lord's telling us, I think we're supposed to stay put. Well, later, a good friend who also has a prophetic gifting, we were hanging out. 
And I shared the same thing with him. And he all of a sudden paused, and then he looks at me and he says, I believe the Lord's telling me that that's true and that he's telling me he's going to give you a five-bedroom house because of all your kids. <laughs> and I'm telling you guys, we were so poor. The thought of us having a house was like relatively ridiculous. We did have a little bit of money. At that time, we were actually living with somebody just trying to get enough money for, a, for closing costs in case we could find something we could afford. And he says five bedrooms, and I laughed at him. I went, dude, love you, bless you, but you're crazy. Well, Robin held on to that. She trusted the gift again and had faith for this. Well, the wildest thing is that was in the summer, and three months later, we found a duplex the long and the short of it, we were able to turn it into condos, and each side had five bedrooms. And when we got this house, our mortgage, our insurance, and taxes were half of what we were paying rent in another town. That's what God did. Gave us a five-bedroom house in Wakefield, Mass., and we were paying $516 a month instead of $900 a month. How's that for craziness? So I'm just saying the Lord can say things to us through passages and they can resonate with us. And again, you, you share it with others and, and see the Lord confirm or bear witness. And that happens through a passage. But now back to 29.11. The NIV says, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Several of the other translations, the more literal ones, say plans for welfare. And the reason they use the word welfare is because it's the word shalom. Or shalom was more than just meaning peace, that you would feel peace in your soul. It meant peace in every way, peace in your environment and your circumstances, prosperity and blessing. All of that stuff was wrapped up in the idea of shalom. And so he says, there's plans for shalom and not calamity, plans for a future and a hope. And indeed, he brings them back to their land, and eventually they settle down and they rebuild the temple, etc., 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 does that apply to us? Well, yes and no. Of course, he has plans for us, plans for our welfare and not for harm, plans to give us a hope and a future. But oftentimes, what caused me concern is that people would think about that in the immediate, in the now. And this is where it was more or less in the immediate and the now for them, but not so for us. And let me explain. I think I've said this over the years in different podcasts, but it's unfortunate in some ways that our Bible says Old Testament, New Testament, because what that really means is Old Covenant and New Covenant. And there are some things that carried over from the Old Covenant. Many did not, and things are very different in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And one of those huge things that did not continue over was a specific piece of land that once God opened up, which was always his plan since Genesis 12, when he told Abraham, you would be a blessing to all nations, that God's plan was for all nations to be blessed through Abraham, namely meaning through God's people, that with Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, what happens then is that when everybody gets included now by faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, where the people of God are made up of Jew and Gentile, it's not about a specific land anymore. Instead, this place that we're going to dwell and experience welfare, prosperity, blessing, and all that stuff, that got bumped to the future. When Paul refers to the inheritance, 
that is to come, where in Ephesians 1, and here he is writing to Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, he says, you also were included in Christ, meaning Gentiles, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then look what happened when you believed. He says, when you believed as well as when we believed, you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That last thing. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We are God's possession. The redemption is this sense when the Lord Jesus comes back and finishes all the redeeming work that he's done. He says, that's when we're going to step into this inheritance. That's when we're going to step in to the same kind of amazing blessing where in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, especially it's spelled out in Leviticus 26, it's remarkable. It's said also, I think, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. But in the covenant, if you would obey the covenant, walk in the covenant, God said you would have these amazing blessings. And if you didn't, there would be calamity. There would be hard things that would happen. Again, the purpose being to turn them back to the Lord and to turn them back into living like him. But the blessings, I mean, he just said, you guys would just be so fruitful and multiply as a people. Your animals would be fruitful and multiply. Your crops would be fruitful and multiply. He said you would not experience any of the diseases that others had, that there would be no sword in your land. I mean, and of course, that reaches its pinnacle with Solomon, where they said even silver was so plentiful. I think it it was like it was on the ground or something to that effect. But I mean, Solomon's was the pinnacle of God's blessing. Kings and queens were coming from all over the world to sit and hear his wisdom and to try to understand how are you guys so off the charts prosperous and wealthy in every sense of the word. And that's in the old covenant. That's what people kept expecting is when is that going to be restored? In the New Testament, we are not promised that. We are not promised that in the new covenant. In fact, again, 29.11 says, I will prosper you and, and not harm you. And again, sometimes people go, well, what's going on in my life then? Because I'm not prospering, and in fact, I'm experiencing harm and difficult circumstances. And Lord, what's with that? Remember, Paul said in Philippians 1.29, he says, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he's writing to the Thessalonians and says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well we are destined for them. Friends, it's so important for us to understand that that's why some of the things that are said in the old are not the same for us in the new. Now, in the final minutes that I have, what I wanted to say, though, is that especially when I was just spending time with the Lord and reading the passage, studying it a little bit, what the Lord put on my heart, I think, to finish with is that they received this as a letter from Jeremiah, the word of the Lord from Jeremiah that would give them hope that this was going to last 70 years, that he carried them out, but he would carry them back, that he would prosper them and bless them. And so they received this letter of hope while they were in this situation. Peter 
said this about our present existence. He said, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here, foreigners here in reverent fear. In chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In that sense, you and I, from Peter, explicitly told to think of ourselves that we are exiles, we are foreigners in this land, that our home is heaven. Our home is when the Lord comes back and heaven comes down and he fixes the planet. That's when it's the promise in Revelation, right? When he says that he'll wipe every tear, no more death, crying pain, the old order of things are going to pass away, it's going to be new. That's when for us that prosperous and no more harm It's through these letters that we have received through Peter when Paul said that he's given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing, guarantees our future, guarantees our hope, that one day we're going to experience life at such an amazingly wonderful way that we can't even fathom it. We can't even imagine it, I don't think. And he's given us a deposit guaranteeing, and he sent letters to us in the New Testament to remind us, foreigners, aliens, exiles, to remind us that no, you will suffer. You will experience trials. Even Jesus, I've said this over the years at different times when he said, remember, in this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world and I'm going to be with you and my peace will be with you. So take courage. You can hear Jeremiah 29, 11, but you got to hear it in light of the New Testament, the new covenant. And recognize, though, that you and I are more in this alien, foreigner situation, that we've received letters of encouragement and hope, promising us a future and a hope. He's given us his spirit as a deposit. In that sense, friends, that word's absolutely true for us today. God will prosper us. God will remove all that harms us. And there is a hope and a future of a time when things will be so amazing. And he's given us a deposit by the Holy Spirit guaranteeing this. And he has sent us letters of hope reminding us, no, while we're foreigners and exiles, it's difficult. But your inheritance will come. You will live on a new planet, on a new land that's going to blow your mind. So take courage in that. Take courage that the Lord can and does sometimes speak to us through specific passages. Be aware as you're personalizing. It's always asking, what did it mean to them then and there? And Lord, does it apply to me and us now? I hope that's been helpful. But enjoy hearing the Lord now through Jeremiah 29, 11. I do have plans for you, and they are to prosper you and to remove all harm for you. I've given you a future and a hope, and it will be realized someday when Jesus returns. So enjoy, be blessed. Thank you, Lord. So God bless you all, and have a great day.